I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. Is that some sort of song? Is that a song? Is that a Jamiroquai song or something? It's not Jamiroquai. I don't fucking know who it is, but I know it's a Christina song. Christina Aguilera. Right? Is it Christina Aguilera, is it? Yeah. Is she the Which one is that why I'm glad the you haven't one? gone for farm boy karaoke. Is she the one that does the yeah. stripper music? Yeah. Back right. in the day she did. She's okay. all posh now. Is she posh now, is she? Yeah, she does classy shit. Ooh, okay. Um, this is the No Holes Barred Witchcraft podcast. If you have never listened to us before, then expect a lot like what you've just heard, basically. But then also weaved in and out a little bit of the magical talk as well. So, obviously on the Thoth, Witchca- uh, Thoth Witchcraft Patreon, people get the opportunity to name the episodes. And this was an episode request. So we didn't come up with the name. The person requested the name of this podcast episode, which is Genie in a Bottle Baby. But they didn't tell us what they wanted it to be about. So we're going to go all sorts of places with this. So it'll be mad ramblings about a genies and a gin and a stuff like that. So there's a couple of things that I think we need to discuss, Chris. I think the first and foremost, we've got to talk about bottling up spirits. And then we've got to talk about the ethics of that. And then how you might go about doing that. And then I'm wondering if we should talk about a gin as well. Not the gin with, uh, you know, rhubarb. The ones you drink. But the gin is in the type of spirit like. Yeah, it sounds good to me. Okay. So, bottling up a spirit. I think there can sometimes be some confusion every now and then. Because some people, what they'll say, and this is normally the paranormal investigatory types. So some people will often say, bottling up a spirit is not really binding it. It's not like putting it in a prison. You're just kind of giving it kind of like an anchor to stay somewhere. So there's lots of different kinds of ideas, I think, for bottling up spirits. So we know a certain someone that's on the Thoth Patreon, which I think they use it more like a prison, like my prison book. Yeah. So like Alcatraz, some next level Al- Alcatraz, Alcatraz shit. Alcatraz. When they, when they finish with their Dolmio pasta jars, they think, I know what to do with this. I think I might use that as a, the spirit version of Alcatraz, right? But then there's other people... That think, oh, well, spirits give them a vessel type thing. I haven't got a vessel, so we'll put them in a jar. And I'm a little... I kind of understand that. Kind of understand that. But I kind of have the ideas. I don't know if it's because I grew up with all this Disney stuff about, you know, genies in lamps and that kind of thing. Rub the genie and then it grants you a wish. And that kind of is a Solomonic kind of Abrahamic approach to ceremonial magic where you buying them to some brass shit and then they have to do whatever you want that's where my mind goes with regards to this so can we clear up a few things in regards to what we would talk about if we were ever to mention genies and ever to mention spirits and jars and stuff because i know you've threatened a few people about putting their soul in a jar i think haven't you I've threatened people all sorts. You'll have to be a bit more specific. But but yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those things of 
when you're considering it, it's you need to know exactly what you want to do with it. So um, our friend on the Patreon, he definitely likes prisons. Um, but obviously that had to require a very specific um, specific way of doing that. And actually the jar itself has nothing to do with being a prison. Um, so it's actually not even part of the spell really. It's uh, it's an aesthetic thing um, rather than necessarily, you know, so he's actually imprisoning them in something different. But the um, the bottle was part of a kind of elemental thing. So it was the earth part of the connection. So, you know, it kind of worked on those bases. So actually, it was more, you know, you could smash the bottle and it'd still be in the prison is what I'm saying. Um, whereas most people would think, oh, if you destroy the vessel, then suddenly it's free and ready to roam again. Obviously, with most of these, <laughs> most of these jars... Um, and other kinds of vessels that are used to trap spirits of various different kinds. Actually, the only important part is the seal. Um, so in what way, shape or form you have actually created said seal will depend on whether or not it's a vessel as an anchor or a vessel as a prison. So if we're sticking with those two stereotypes rather than confuse everybody. But, you know, if we start with those two kind of stereotypes of either being a a vessel or an anchor i think those are good ones to go with okay so with the one? anchor that could be any really any physical object couldn't it so i think yeah anchors we'd probably talk about on a separate podcast because there's a lot of ways you can go with that and i think the life after death thing and then mummification, and then all these sorts of things will be interesting to talk about in terms of anchors. So let's talk about the genie in the bottle perspective of binding a spirit in the form of a contract, because that's the idea of kind of the genie, I think, is that you've got a spirit, and by some sort of law, even in the Disney one, I think the, the genie didn't have free will, did it? So it was essentially imprisoned no. in the lamp. It's a prisoner. Yeah. And then there's obviously actions, so whereby rubbing the lamp would grant you free wishes so the genie would work for you three times, that kind of thing. So that's kind of a, a spirit banged. And then obviously if you're in it, binding it to something, there's the idea of the divok box, of course. Yep. And then there's the idea of the lamp or, you know, jars often, because witches is often poor, so they haven't got all these fancy boxes lying around. Unless you're lazy, Lady Poison, because she likes to collect pretty boxes like I do. A lot of witches do like to do that, but the poor witches can just collect the, just the jars because they can't afford the, the fancy boxes. They ain't got nowhere to put them. So, the jar, in terms of the stereotype of putting a spirit in a jar, now when you put a spirit in a jar, and that's some sort of binding or a prison for it obviously we could talk about approaches that you could take with that but from that perspective is the jar important so if you broke and smashed the jar would that release it from its contract does the size of the jar matter if i've got a big spirit 
can I put that in one of those mini little vodka bottles, you know, that Nanny and all that hang, you know, they put in their handbags when they're going out anywhere because they're raging alcoholics. Or or does it need to be like a big bottle, like my Kraken gin, uh, like my Kraken bottle, my Kraken rum bottle that I take to go and collect the spring water from? That's a big bottle, that's like a litre, you know. If I got a little measly crappy little elemental spirit, do I have to put that in a little bottle? Will it fit in a big bottle? If I put an archangel, would I have to use a bigger bottle for that? Or am I just being a bit pedantic? You're being pedantic. That's what the beginners ask. You go on the forums, they will ask yeah. you, does the size of the bottle matter? Does it matter what sort of jar it no. is? All that sort of no, thing. No, because of course not, because it's a it's a it's a binding spell. So all you're doing is fixing it again. It's part of this anchor part, but not. Um, so you're just fixing it and restricting its energy. So, you know, at that point, you're talking about something that is spirit. So the physical side, you're only dealing with the physical representation. You're not dealing with what the actual magic is, which is obviously a binding, um, a binding and a prison that actually exists on an astral or, or some other spiritual level rather than in the physical plane so the physical plane part is just the anchor to the spell it's the physical representation that's used in order to make that happen hence why if you smash the bottle it's not necessarily going to release them because that's not normally what they're anchored to so obviously from the perspective of the the witch that wanted to go away and do this they could if they wanted to use that bottle or jar as a kind of physical anchor and that if the jar was to break or anyone was to open the jar that that would release the spirit but at the same time you're saying a more grown-up witch or experienced witch would understand that jars and bottles are fragile and will probably break and that's one hell of a um you know weakness in your prison if you're making it out of glass yeah so the stereotypical yeah. idea that you will see in films of some little kids breaking into a house and they disturb a shelf because a cat jumps you know jumps up goes meow and they jump back knock a bunch of bottles off of the shelf and then a load of them fall on the floor smash and then spirits get released I don't know whether that's an actual film. That's just coming to my mind. But it sounds like the sort of shit you'd get in a film. Or at the very least a Goosebumps episode. Um, yeah, maybe more Goosebumps. And uh, I kind of think, well, obviously, whoever is the witch in that Goosebumps episode, clearly they ain't a very professional witch. Because the very fact that they haven't incorporated the fact that the physical object if it smashes it doesn't release it from the bindings you know that might be a cocked up spell but it does remind me of the idea of <gasps> these characters in the films and that where they're like there is a ouija board and it's haunted and there's a spirit attached to it all i know if i burn the ouija board that'll fix my problems when obviously that won't be the case so you know at least not in the not in the uh the films that i've seen so in terms of the process then for binding a spirit and then the process as well because I think this this is kind of like a bolt on an additional extra you need to download a couple extra plugins to make this bit work 
and that is the kind of idea of creating a genie so confining the genie because there's an idea of putting a spirit in a prison which I think quite a lot of magical practitioners probably do and then there's the idea of oh I'm going to take this spirit and I'm going to bind it and I'm going to use that as kind of like a slave and exploit it which is kind of like the Solomonic ceremonial magician's approach they normally bind it to a ring I think or stick it in a brass urn or some yeah, shit well, like that it really de- it really depends on how you're approaching it mm. so if you're approaching it from an Abrahamic tradition then obviously what you're talking about is they're in the same categories as most of the um, goetic spirits. So there are a series of spirits um, that are, okay, bound by the laws of God. Does that make sense? Is that, would sense that be a way that it makes sense to people? Hence why, hence why in the, the film Aladdin, uh, it can't bring people back from the dead. It can't make people fall in love with each other. Uh, and what was the other one? I can't remember what the other thing they can't do is. But that's why it falls on those traditions is because that's actually the Abrahamic version of a genie as opposed to the kind of Eastern Mesopotamian kind of level spirit, uh, which has a more kind of natural feel to them. So, you know, if you're going down the kind of... um abrahamic point of view then they are just a class a class of spirit in the same class as a goetic spirit that therefore is bound bound to the decisions that you uh, its original contract was built with um you know whatever and all you're doing is is transferring it to from one prison to another temporarily essentially did that any, make any sense? Any form of spirit prison is basically putting limitations and constraints on a spirit. So it's not all the same because you've got to think of it less as I'm trapping the spirit in something. And I think more as in what I'm doing is I'm, uh, you know, putting a little curfew on this spirit so it can't go out late at night or it's not allowed to do this or it's yeah. gone asbo and ain't allowed to go in the centre of town for example is constraining yeah. and confining the spirit so in terms of how you constrain and confine the spirit that will depend on your approach your ability from a magical perspective and then essentially it's like this kind of idea of whether it can fight back or whether it can you know whether you can actually enforce this this constraint because obviously the vast majority of spirits that you would be dealing with in terms of this kind of thing the useful types they would exist outside of space time essentially so if you were to bind it you would be binding it outside of space time which means that it would be affecting it technically from our perspective back in the past and also in the future which is quite a difficult thing to get your head around um but still, it is one of those things that when you look deep into the kind of Solomonic perspective of ceremonial magic and the ideas of constraining spirits, then the spirit's already been constrained, it's already been done, so you're then looking at exploiting that, essentially. Now, I know we yeah. don't do curriculums. However, if we did do a witchcraft magical practitioner curriculum or an apprenticeship, I would make sure that spirit prisons and that kind of sticking souls in jars and that was a definite thing. 
as a minimum requirement to pass said curriculum because there's a lot of different types of areas of magic that you need to learn in order to do it effectively and in terms of seeing the repercussions of doing something like that that's also something that's super important so fiddling with it can have a big knock-on effect so obviously we should probably talk about the most common i think reasons for why magical practitioners try and put spirits in jars and that um and i think i've i've noticed that obviously when people train not naming any names when people train and get the ability to do that and play with that sort of magic they tend to uh pick it up and then run with it is that fair to say <laughs> yeah get carried away yeah and start rather uh, extensive jar collections of spirits just because they can yeah like my nan when she used to collect those horrible fucking clangs little porcelain clangs Ugh. oh god don't i knew don't a lady that used to collect like porcelain like china cats as well oh it becomes an obsession collecting spirits and that it's like their go-to method um and I, I'm thinking that really it's kind of almost to me like when you've got a cat or a dog and someone's coming in your house and they're allergic to them or annoyed by, you know, they are scared of dogs or something. You just constrain it and put it in the other room or you put it out in the garden. Yeah. I think of it like this. I yeah. don't think of it as a permanent thing. I kind of think of it as okay, that's going to be annoying. I can tell that it's going to be annoying, so we better put the dog in the other room. Lock the dog away before Rosemary comes round, type thing. So I kind of think constrain, constraining spirits a lot of the time as a temporary thing. Now, I, I see that from a magical perspective because if you were to do that, it's not going to last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever anyway. You would probably have to create your own dimension and stick it in there then. Because at the end of the day, if the magic you're working is too close to this universe or exists within the universe we're currently in, when the universe ends, the magic's going to be undone. So it's temporary. Might be millions upon billions of years, but it's still going to be undone. You know? Sealing things for a lifetime, I can understand. I know the magical practitioners that have sealed things away from way back in the day and they're still kind of sealed away. I know Lady Poison tells of this uh, folklore about a um, about a spirit or something being constrained underneath. I think it's a water, uh, a river or something like that in a bridge, and if the if the um, the plant growth grows up to the top of the bridge or something, then obviously it means that the spirit gets released. So the council and that, oh, yeah. they keep cutting it down because it's kind that. of local legend. Whether that's true or not, I don't know if there's a spirit there. I've never been there. But it was one of her little stories that she did say about, which illustrates a very good point. And that is, if assuming that it is true, and that if the plant growth did reach the point of covering the bridge and that spirit got released, was that programmed into the spell? Or is that just this Disney Brothers Grimm idea of, well, every every spell needs a kind of a loophole type thing, so I'll plan the loophole. Only by the kiss of a prince <laughs> will you awaken type shit. 
Like, I know I've yeah. got to build a, a backdoor in this or a loophole in this, so it better be that I pick it rather than the universe picks it. Is that the kind of approach? Yeah, I think that's I think that's normally the approach people take traditionally from a kind of... Well, it's definitely a Western thing. Um, I don't think there is the same kind of approach when it comes to Eastern work. But yeah, in the West, we kind of like to... I think we like our contracts too much. And therefore, there is always a get out clause. Um, and therefore, we must always plan for that. Um, it's normally hidden in the fine print. Um, and we are very good at hiding the fine print. Yeah. Um, to the point that I like those ones where... Uh, did you ever watch the... I think, is it the third or the fourth Shrek movie? Did you ever watch those? I haven't watched any of the Shreks. I tried to watch one of them, but it oh, just, okay. I find it annoying. Oh, you really need to watch one... The, it's either the third or the fourth one, I can't remember which, uh, but it's about Rumpelstiltskin. And he does this kind of spell contract arrangement where there is always a loophole. And the loophole normally is is, is found by origamiing up the actual um, contract itself and then reveals the answer. If you fold it in the right ways, the answer is there in in a word. So like, no, that's you know, cool. uh, true true love's kiss or, or whatever it is um because it's always something like that isn't it if it's kind of fairy tale based but yeah he has you basically have to fold the contract itself up until it reveals the words that will give you a tip off as to how you break it but um but yeah so like i think that is a very much a western thing that we like to set the set the breakage point if needed um, but I think that's more of a security point from a from a practitioner's point of view. So that's kind of you setting the goal, not necessarily to make sure, but if something goes wrong, you know how to undo it more so than necessarily that someone else needs to get out clause. Um, I quite like the physical ones. You know me. I'm more likely to... Um, bind a spirit to a particular piece of land or to a bloodline rather than necessarily to a bottle um or a, you know some kind of you're talking something, something that's going to last a little longer though aren't you yeah that sounds that more something... like revenge and anger as opposed to something else yeah so i'm more likely to bind something to to a physical something that won't change or will take so long to change that you're stuck there. Um, but then I do a lot of spells that I bind to living things. So, you know, yeah. I've... But then you also I've, use binding you know, as a punishment. Yeah, but that's not the only thing I use them for. But I quite like binding spells to living things like oak trees. Therefore, they have the option to last for hundreds of years and are self-perpetuating. So, you know, that's the main part of reason that you would tie something to a living thing is so that it's got the power to stay locked. Um, because this is what people tend to forget about is there needs to be a power source longer term. If you if it's too, you know, if it's a strong spirit. You're going to need the power to subdue it on a longer period of time. Whereas if you're just putting a ghosty in a bottle it doesn't have the possibility to raise enough energy 
for it to break out of said Alcatraz. When you start to then start thinking about jinn and things like that that have their own power source, you need to then match that and suppress the energy that it, it or the access point to the energy that it requires in order to do it. So if we were to go to a similar kind of um, spirit, say let's talk about uh, a succubus rather than, or an incubus rather than a jinn, they're a similar class of being. They have a they have a power source that they need to have access to. So the um, you know so if you're going to starve it of being able to live on the kind of sex energy that is required for to keep an incubus or a succubus happy. If you're locking it in a bottle, it can't feed. Um, and this is what it comes down to. So with gin, in my experience, gin like the contract, or at least they are programmed to like the, the contract aspect. So, you know, you get those three wishes and then it moves on. Um, but that's because from my experience, I've, I don't have much experience with the Abrahamic ones, shall we say, that are bound to those kind of contracts. Um, whereas the kind of slightly more traditional kind of jinn from the, the Middle East, um, they're less contract based and are more like the trickster spirits of old. So, you know, these kind of mercurial kind of spirits that people often talk about. Am I right in thinking it was the Tempest with uh, William Shakespeare that had uh, Prospero binding yeah. a spirit? So that's yeah. the idea of the sorcerer looking at the old kind of classical witchcraft, classical magic now. Binding spirits to do their bidding is very, very close to the genie thing. The difference with the genie thing is... Well, I don't know if it is a difference to the genie thing because I can't remember with the whole Aladdin thing about how he finds the lamp. Does he steal it or does he find it or what? Depends which version. If you go the right. Disney version, he has to steal it, technically, um, because it's in the Cave of Wonders. But the... Uh... But in that situation, he's stealing it for somebody else is the plan, um, but it backfires. But the uh, in other versions of it, it is it's I think it's always a theft. Um, I think it's mentioned in the Alibaba um, stories as well. But don't don't um, don't quote me on that. But the. Um, yeah, there's a there's a part and parcel of it will find you or you will find it is part of the folklore, if that makes sense. It's not always theft. Because the, the perspective I'm trying to get at is obviously Aladdin didn't make the, the genie in the bottle, did he? So essentially no, someone has it. put a genie in the bottle, probably for their own use. It's probably one of these short-term spells where they say, ah, I'll put this genie and confine it to the bottle. It'll give me free wishes. I'll do what I want with it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that I remember that old project. I'll put it in the kind of side room. Side room being the Cave of Wonder. And then it ends up yeah. getting lost. Much like I've done spells and put them in the cupboard. 
because they've been all used up and done but i forget to throw them away or or dismantle them so i end up putting them in a storeroom somewhere yeah so it's kind of like that in the form of oh well this is designed to give me access to this uh this genie type spirit i've done my bit with it i'm just gonna put it into storage now and then someone else comes along and uses the magic so from that perspective that's the point i think is the using the spirit using the the binding of that as a way of forcing the spirit to do your bit in kind of like siri in the old iphone essentially why it is it's just yeah. a slave and then siri will do whatever siri's told by anyone that owns the iphone whereas yeah. when you're talking about prisons you're talking about sticking a spirit so that no one can it can't mess with you essentially so if you're talking about certain magical practitioners and magicians that think certain spirits are troublesome to humankind they might take it upon themselves to stop said spirits from interfering with this physical reality that's big magic that's big boy and big girl magic because that takes some doing And then there's the idea, of course, where you're just really binding a spirit. You're kind of saying you're essentially enslaving it. That's what it is, is magical enslavement, isn't it? This old genie thing. So would you be able to take the same approach, do you think, with every spirit? If you wanted to put whatever spirit it was in some kind of prison, would you be able to do it with any spirit? Obviously, you can answer that on the Thoth Witchcraft Patreon because we're out of time now for the regular <laughs> listeners. Should join the Patreon people. So, yeah, obviously, for the patrons, does the approach you take matter in regards to the spirit? So, could you take one approach with one type of spirit classification and it not work with another? Is uh, binding an elemental the same as a binding an angel? All that kind of thing. What's, what's your perspective on that? Because they're all spirits, of course, but we like to classify things. Kind of like yeah. race, I suppose. But I'd call yeah, it classification. Classification's a fairer way of putting it. But the it, it will depend. So it depends on your your how you're looking at it, your perspective. I would say that what will change is the power or the anchor that's required um in order to make said binding work um in which case i suppose they are all in some way the same however for somebody that doesn't have mine or your um collection of memories shall we say it may have to you you may have to break that down into different approaches so you know if because obviously it's going to come down to what is like you were saying before what is its reach so if the particular spirit you are referring to or want to then back you know lock up for a period of time um or you wanting to restrict access to um then you're going to have to approach it from a point of how much what's its reach so is it bound by time if it's not are you capable of raising enough energy in order to bind something that exists outside of time? Um, and then so on and so forth. So you are equally 
if you're going to bind something, it depends on what <laughs> what fields of existence it exists in. So in which case, if you're binding some kind of ghosty, you're not going to worry because the majority of it still exists um, in that kind of um, veil area between the physical and the um, the astral. And therefore, it's got a limited range of manifestation. If you're then trying to bind something that is uh, an elemental, for example, where only about 10% of it is actually physical, um, that you can actually see, then are you capable of binding that entire other 90% which exists on other multiple planes of existence? Um, and then you kind of got going up to, if would you be able to bind a deity um, to try and use some of the usual classifications that we would use? Um, and then on a separate level of kind of going, okay, well, between a deity and a um, titan level spirit, what what energy would be required to try and bind something that's existent, um, has uh, a binding and a purpose within this reality and universe? So then you kind of, yeah, so you're going to have to approach that differently, depending on what are you capable of raising the energy that's required? Are you able to maintain it? What are you using as a get out clause? Um, what is the limitation of that? Are you trying to bind death itself? Um, do you know what I mean? Like depending on what you're actually approaching um, and what you're trying to what you're trying to bind will depend on the the approach you're going to use. But the approach will normally be the, the limiting factor on the approach is either going to be the power source or what the actual limitations of said spirit is. And I've waffled. So did any of that make sense? I think you're taking the perspective, correct me if I'm wrong, that your approach would depend on the type of spirit that you're trying to bind. And great thought needs to be put into really understanding the type of spirit the classification of spirit you're dealing with and i think that mirrors like practically reasons why you would go about doing it because i don't know anyone that would bind an angel because for the simple reason that angels are hall monitors and cogs they do what they're supposed to do so i don't see why you would bind that you wouldn't try to stop it from doing its job you would just understand its job and then you now that they will play by the rules that are set for them to play by. So understanding what their job is, you will understand how to set them on their way, I suppose, if they're interfering with something, or yeah. to not get in their way so they don't cause trouble for you, right? Whereas, yeah. really, you know, you're talking about if someone's going to try and bind an angel, I would only see that from my perspective as them trying to prove that they can do it. I don't see much practical reasons for doing it. I know when yeah. you've bound angels, it's been like hog time, Michael, that time. It's been to keep them out of an environment that they're trying to do their job in, essentially, or been called into. So that's slightly different, but that's slightly more higher, higher level magic, because I think to the perspective there, we'd need to talk about practical reasons why you do this. So one practical yeah. so reason for, I think for we me, can... To, to just kind of tie up that one, 
yeah. uh, pun intended, with the Michael situation. That was purely a pace if that's a demonstration of power. It's got nothing to do with actual need. Um, it was a want. And that's the difference. It was a reminding another spirit that it wasn't invited. Um, and it's not a good idea to move into someone's space when you've not been called in by the person who controls said space. Okay, so so we've both banged Michael at points, but we've both done it for different reasons. I'm yeah. presuming you said, you is your reason to show Michael who's boss or is your reason to show the person who was working with Michael who's boss? I suppose a mixture of both. But right, okay. Yeah. Because I've banged Michael before because Michael was used by a certain practitioner as their defence mechanism. So obviously yeah. from my perspective, it's, oh, you're using this shield to protect yourself. I'll take that shield away. So from my practical perspective is you're trying to utilize this energy, spirit, weapon, defense mechanism. So the simplest thing for me to do is rather than to try and break through that shield, it's far easier to just take this shield away, right? Stop it from manifesting. So in my perspective, when someone was trying to pull in Michael for protection, so for example, you know, like the Wiccans like to call to the Watchtowers and that, sometimes they like to call to the Archangels to pull them into the circle, I just stopped it from manifesting. Because yeah. obviously uh, my perspective was, they're calling in protection, I'll stop the protection from, uh, from arriving. Kind of like sh tying a dog and then calling the dog. It can't come because it's tied. And muzzled, yeah. right? Um, but when I think about the most of the times whenever I've used uh, the ideas of spirit traps, I suppose, or prisons, or that kind of thing, jars particularly, utilisation of jars for this sort of magic, it's been for transportation. It's literally the magical equivalent of you've got cats, you take the cats to the vets in those little cat carry cases, don't you? Yeah. Right, so that's literally what I'm talking about. And normally, it's dealing with spirits that haven't got a huge amount of capability themselves. So most of the time, yeah. oh, there's a spirit in a haunted house. It's a sentient spirit, but is obviously not powerful enough to do a lot. The person wants it gone. I will put that in something, normally a jar, because they're always on hand and it looks cool putting a spirit in a jar. At least it does to the client, very dramatic. And then I'll take it with me and then I might put it somewhere else. If I owned a haunted house, that's probably what I'd do with it. I'd put it in a haunted yeah. house and charge money for paranormal investigators to go and do it. Um, but really transportation for spirits that are unable to do that yourself, themselves. Obviously your cats might not want to go to the vets, but it is what's good for them. So you force them into that little cat or trick them into that, hence the spirit trap trick them to go into the thing and then you transport them to the vets and then you transport them back again so the magical equivalent yep. of that can't say I can think of many times when not in this life anyway that I've used kind of spirit things for that um, to just bind it there has obviously I've got the book the book the big book that I've been using as a spirit prison to a certain extent that's taking essentially frag of we've talked about this might be going a bit high level now but we've talked about stealing fragments of human souls 
to get a link yeah. to them, energetic link. What I'm talking about there is stealing the fragment of the soul of a spirit and sticking yeah. it in there. So that's kind of a, again, books. You can cram a lot into books, right? So turning the pages, you've got dozens and dozens of dozens of pages in the book and all of them have a different spirit sometimes multiple spirits on the same page depending on how many pictures is on the page because I bind them into the, the pictures in the book which makes more sense I think than carrying around a load of uh, you know jars but at the same time I know people like to put them into uh, cards like tarot cards and that kind of thing as well so that's an interesting point because it's another type of book I suppose you could say yeah but you can fit a lot of, like I say, um, you know, a picture a picture speaks a thousand words. So yeah. the, the reason we use, and the same when it comes to goetics, the reason you use sigils is because, again, it, it expands on that idea of a picture says a thousand words. So the, you know, rather than having a phrase like open sesame, um, in order to lock something or open something, you're going to just use an image because the image you can bury in a whole levels and and <laughs> an entire scripture could be condensed down to a single shape um and by allowing that to happen you are able to add in all these extra levels um in order to you know make more complicated prisms um so yeah that's why we would use a painting. A painting is such a great way to do it. Uh, any kind of image is is a beautiful way to trap spirits, personally. But the you know for your for your purposes again, that is yeah, creating a better tool, isn't it? Is what you're doing there, um, almost in an advanced level of a genie bottle. It is rather than having just one spirit in there, it's many. Um, isn't there a story? No, I'm. I don't know where I'm pulling this from. Isn't there a story to do with the, um, you know, seventy-two um, goetic spirits or whatever they are? Um, seventy-two spirits of the Goetia. Yeah, that was the whole yeah. Solomon thing about binding the, the the demons and that, and he basically um, used them to create his temple and that. So he used them as a yeah. workforce. They were essentially slaves. Um, and then. Didn't all of them have, didn't you have the potential to put all of them into a a vessel of some kind? They were metal-based, yeah, if I remember right. The brass, uh, is it brass urn or something like that it was? Something um, like that. Yeah, because he has the ring, Solomon's ring. Um, and then I think that's made from Thela Solomon... Let me have a look. Signet ring uh, from the medieval Arabic tradition. Blah, blah, blah. I always thought that it was made of silver. Because whenever I've used this approach to get um, spirits to form a contract with me and basically form that contract in the form of a silver ring, um, it's been silver, but I that may not necessarily translate particularly to the Solomonic system. But no, I there's there's like a brass um, urn yeah, or something sure like some that, kind that of, he basically some sticks kind of them urn, on, 
And then it's the silver ring that is kind of, I suppose, the key, maybe? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there's some sort of vessel of brass, anyway. Um, but, so the perspective of artwork, I like to use Renaissance art, because obviously those quite dramatic scenes. You don't necessarily have to put one spirit in a picture or a painting. You could put multiple spirits. So within, obviously, a Renaissance art scene, there could be lots of characters in there, which you could put a spirit and seal it in the body of the character that's in that piece. But at the same time, there are other things, whether it be clouds whether it be kind of concepts in their overall emotion. So depending on the type of spirit, if it was like a Greek or something like that, something with a personality, I would bind that to probably something with personality there. So it's going to be some kind of archetypal picture of a person or a thing there. Whereas if it's just something specific, this more of an elemental type thing, then I would bind that to the scene so if it's a fiery dramatic scene I would bind that elemental to that as opposed to a specific individual generally is economics at the end of the day if I don't want to have loads and loads and loads of painting so it makes sense that I just get one big dramatic scene and then just bind spirits to individual characters within that scene because if you're going to talk about binding spirits, the traditional approach, of course, which you also see echoed in films, is to bind it to its own name. Yeah. Because there's you bind a spirit, because each spirit technically, I suppose, has a name, so you bind it to its own name. That would be an approach. But then if you've got a whole legion of the spirits, you would you know want to go to the rigmarole of naming all of them and binding them all no i think you just bind the whole lot to a a painting because economically it you know it's a lot better i so at some point we need to start selling haunted paintings chris but again the ethics of that a little iffy in it a little bit a little bit <laughs> maybe not binding maybe just create some paintings with portals in so that spirits connect through the painting Maybe. 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 Instead of forcing the spirits in the painting, it'd probably be better just to 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 put little doors in. I'm thinking maybe fairy door, not a fairy door, fairy door in a painting. That could be fun. That could be good. I'm is it is it bad that my brain goes straight to these horrible cat memes? Um Oh binding one to a meme. Uh, yeah. I like I like those. Those have a lot more travel use. Well, this is where this is where we started talking about genies and jar spells and then binding, and then we're also now cracking sigil magic because, of course, magic is magic. At the end of the day, people use sigil magic for one thing, but technically, you could bind a, a spirit to a sigil or create an open doorway, which is essentially what most sigils are to spirits, kind of like their telephone number. And then yeah. if you did that instead of its name or its a sigil, you could bind that to a popular meme. Ideally, if you created a meme with that purpose and then got it to, uh, you know, go global, that could cause all sorts of trouble and devastation if you pick yeah. the right spirit and, and the right meme. 
And if you remember Monsters, Inc., there is a lot of power in, in laughter. So, you know, I, I think it's a very nice self-perpetuating spell work there. So... Yeah, so if you wanted to create a sigil, because a lot of people have been doing this sigil magic stuff, because I know we put uh, a little exercise with your uh, ball and that on the um, Witchcraft oh, the Live Facebook ball. group, and everyone seems to be getting on quite well with that. But the next like approach the you ball. could take, given that we are in the age of social media and the TikTok and the like, is, okay, bind what you want, Instead of to a squiggly sigil, bind it to a meme that you create. And instead of empowering that sigil yourself, you've obviously just programmed it to pick up power in order to transmute that power into what you're supposed to be doing. So if you wanted more money, for example, because everyone wants more money, then you, instead of creating a money sigil that you put the energy into, create a money sigil and release it out there in the form of a meme. So what I'm not talking about is creating a sigil and hiding it in a meme, because you could do that. What I'm talking about is having a meme you create be the actual sigil. And what would yeah. be even more funny is if you made that meme something to do with money. Greedy bankers or something like that. I don't know. What's currently going on in the news? Matt Hancock having an affair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least that's what's going on in Britain. You can tell how old this podcast is by me just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what else have we got to cover? I'm not sure because obviously that's the beauty of this. We can just go off on a tangent because they haven't actually asked us to cover a specific thing. But obviously the title was uh, Genie in a Bottle Baby. So it's what you really want to finish talking about. Because we've talked a little bit about genies in a bottle. Um, What would be your approach? So you can come up with any reason for doing it that you'd want. But if you're talking about a spirit trap. Or creating a genie or something like that. I think I've got two questions for you. One is if you were to make a genie for someone else. Or to put for sale on the Thoth Witchcraft shop. Yeah. What type of spirit would you bind to be that genie? That's an interesting oh. one. Okay. Well, it depends what, what we want in. What are they buying it for? Are they buying it for wishes? Or are they buying yeah, it wishes. for... Yeah, wishes. And you can't wishes. say the goddess Saren either. <laughs> Get out of my head. Because um, she's already banged. She's already To grant wishes. <laughs> um, well, I'm a bit sick. So I would probably use a she or something like that. But that's because... I I'd want <laughs> I'd I'd want it to have some kind of Faustian deal involved. Because you know me, I don't like to make life easy for people. Okay. Cuz cuz you might be a little sick, but I <laughs> am probably just a little dirty cuz I'm thinking 
get a sculpture to make a Sheila and a gig <laughs> and then bind <laughs> bind a spirit to oh. that. And what you yeah. have to do is tickle it in order to get your wishes. So you might rub oh, the lang yeah. up in Aladdin, but you've got to tickle the Sheila and a gig three no, times no. in Great. order to get your free wishes. <laughs> but I'm not sure what spirit would best go in that. Because I don't want to use one too tricky. Oh, see, I like a tricky spirit. So I would, yeah, I'd probably go with a, a she of some description. Um, and it would probably... <laughs> it would probably have to... You'd probably have to use some kind of bodily function, I think, to make it work. So what bodily function are we thinking? I'm not sure. Just there'd be, have to be some kind of bodily fluid involved. So, you know, depending on whether or not it was spittle or blood, I'm not sure yet. We'll see. So what physical object would you bind it to then? Because it's got to be for sale on the Thoth Witchcraft Shop, you see. So it needs to be a physical object we sell oh, for legal reasons. A, it'd probably be a good old a kind of hagstone arrangement. Because the she'd quite like those. Okay. So if you ever see hagstones or a Sheila Nagig for sale on the Thoth Witchcraft Shop website, <laughs> then uh, you might get more than you bargained for. <laughs> <laughs> there might be something attached yeah. to it. See, I want to say elemental, but I don't know how useful that would realistically be. Because I'm also no. thinking land spirit. If you made a Sheila Lig... Because I'm liking the idea, right? Because obviously I live in <laughs> Bristol. And Bristol's, you know, there's quite a lot of hippies and a lot of um, street art and that kind of thing. I'm liking the idea of getting a Sheila in a gig and grip filling it to a wall somewhere in Bristol and then uh, you know spreading the kind of meme and the rumour around Bristol that obviously you've got to tickle the Sheila in the gig and she'll give you free wishes um, <laughs> but obviously binding it to some sort of land spirit so they would only work if you're there so obviously if you released memes and pictures of it like they do all of these graffiti art books and that kind of thing from Banksy and that but that would draw, the the, uh, the spirit would be able to draw energy from that. So that would be a one way. So the energy gets sucked in through all the advertising and the marketing and the pictures and the people taking pictures of it and posting it on social media. But in order to actually get the spirit to do the job, you have to physically go to the location in Bristol, tickle the shield in the gig and then say what your wishes are. That's what I'd like. And then obviously it would be some kind of land spirit that you'd probably end up programming <laughs> tinkering that's going more into the homoculus now isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure there's supposed to be some river southern um goddess is it sabrina something like that that could be an Possibly. interesting one i could co-opt a local land spirit quite easily i think and the dark pastor was asking she was she was talking about creating egregores but the dark pastor because she lives around kind of Bristol way. She was asking about um, whether there's any kind of local folklore, that kind of a thing. Um, and I thought, well, having thought about it, there's, there's not a huge amount, you know. There's little local things, but not a huge amount, to be honest. Whereas 
if I made this shield in a gig, I don't know, Bristol might have his first serious, you know, spirit. Do you know, my only issue with this is the fact that you have absolutely no experience about tickling a shield in a gig. Yeah, I can't even say it right now. Not so, in this life. So, I could, you, know, you talked about drawing on past memories. I'm sure I can draw on a few past memories. <laughs> Pass the memories. <laughs> what I really want is I wanna I wanna use I want like obviously the shield in a gig. It can't just be completely flat. It'll have a flat outline, but it's got to be you know like those um you see on those kind of quest films where they've got uh, Indiana Jones. It's like some kind of green man's face with a mouth, and you've got to put your whole arm in, yeah. like that um the truth one where you have to put your arm in and then obviously if you tell a lie then it bites your arm off type thing. I'm thinking the shielding in the gig needs to be put over like some sort of crevasse in a wall so actually it actually goes in <laughs> and there could be moss and stuff growing in there. <laughs> <laughs> some black widow spiders perhaps. All sorts, yeah. I'm loving that idea. I really I'm do sure like that idea. I, I tell you what, I think if, if you was to do that that's so much better than some of this crappy uh, spray paint artwork. I think Banksy can eat his heart out with that one. I mean, I like Banksy artwork and it's very funny in that. But I mean, come on. Comparing Banksy to a Sheila Niglig that you have to put your little finger in, tickle it, and then you tickle the little uh, fungus and moss that's growing inside and then it grants wishes. That's some next level magical shit that is, I tell you. I might have to do that. If I do it, I'll put it on my OnlyFans, Chris. I am oh, seriously okay. thinking of doing it. Okay. I'm just not very good with, like, sculpture and that. So I might have to commission someone else to make a shield in a gig. And then <laughs> on my way to the moot somewhere, the magical moot, on the Tuesday night, I might go and grip, grip fill it to the wall, take some pictures, and then send it around social media. Okay. So what was question number two? I've completely forgotten. <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> I think question number two was because um, we've talked about what type of spirit you said is she. Um, so why would you go about doing this if you was to do it? What would be the reasons for doing it? I thought the reason for doing it was um, profit. <laughs> <laughs> well you do it for profit what you mean you do it you'd make one to sell is that what you're saying so you are basically it not only is it a slave but you're actually a slave trader now <laughs> essentially that's what you offered that was the question you asked me to do you said no i said to... i said why would you go to the rigmarole of creating a spirit trap or creating <laughs> yeah, a no, you what said would be the reason for doing question. it and you said well to sell it I want to go in this slave trade. Liam, I think we need to go into the slave trade now. We can't get away with selling humans anymore. So why don't we instead sell spirits? Because spirits don't have any rights. <laughs> no, you you asked me about what we would put in the shop. Um, ah. that what And what I would bind it to. So if we're saying, okay, separate question would depend on what I actually want to do with one. Um, that's a really big question, and I'm I'm not sure. Um, I don't need money or 
attractiveness or any of those things that most people would normally go for. So I don't know. I don't I don't need any legions. Um, those are of no use to me in this lifetime. You don't have any old scores to settle with spirits and the like? Not in this universe, anyway. No, no annoying ones? No, not that I could think of. What if we put, um... What if... <laughs> this will be a bad <laughs> one, because it's a spirit that we've uh, worked quite well with, but what would happen if you literally did some proper big big boy witch binding and you bang the spirit to stop it from manifesting here and you decided to bang one of these famous spirits that all the neo-pagans work with like Bridget well if you banged Bridget <laughs> to never ever be able to manifest here do you think all of the Glastonbury and that would shut down or do you think because they don't Possibly. actually work with Bridget they just work with kind of like a <laughs> Tolpa Egregore version of Bridget that it wouldn't really make much difference do you think they'd notice? I don't think they'd notice. I think what would make a much bigger, a bigger splash would to be would be to bind Odin from never coming back. That would be an interesting one. Oh, that would be an interesting one, actually. That wouldn't be that so, difficult either. No, but I'm wondering whether or not that really is breaking our numero one or real rule of not affecting people for more than one lifetime. Um, and that's about to affect lots of people's lives. So, you know, is There's that the Norse problem? The Norse problem, which we will cover at some point on the podcast. Okay. Well, I think we're out of time anyway, so we'd better leave it there. I think we've given uh, people yeah. enough things to think about. There, there's a lot of stuff we've covered on this podcast but the only thing they're ever really going to ma- remember is that somewhere in the city of Bristol there's a Sheila Nagyag that if you tickle her she'll grant you free wishes so we'll just <laughs> leave it there goodbye and good night everyone bye bye